welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, my guest today um, is risking life and limb to be talking to us. So um, he is, we're talking to him um, when he is in Israel, where he lives now. He was from Brooklyn at one time, and he's been on the show before. I'd like to welcome his, him back, David Rubin. Today's show is called Israel Under Attack. And unless you've been living under a rock, you know or should know that Israel is under attack. And um, it's a rather serious situation. Uh, Let me first introduce you to my guest, and then we'll start talking about what is happening really in Israel, because it's hard to find out the truth from the mainstream media. My guest, David Rubin, is a former mayor of Shiloh, Israel, which is in the West Bank. He's the founder and president of Shiloh Israel Children's Fund, which is dedicated to healing the trauma of child victims of terrorist attacks. And um, this occurred, he developed this or founded this after he and his three-year-old son were wounded in a vicious terrorist attack while driving home from Jerusalem. So um, he is the author of a number of major books, well-respected books, and his latest one is called Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel. So we will talk about that in a minute. But first, um, David, first of all, welcome to the show, and thank you for, you know, um, doing a show at this particularly crazy, dangerous time in Israel. What are things like there? Well, things are hot. They have definitely uh, heated up big time. Uh, we had uh, Jerusalem Day yesterday, which is the day when Israelis celebrate, in this case, 54 years since the reunification of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War of 1967. And it's a, a very joyous, celebratory day with a, lo- a lot of dancing, a lot of waving of flags, and uh, a, a lot of uh, celebration. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the a lot of the Arab population of Israel and those who identify as Palestinians uh, did not uh, consider it celebration, and they uh, they did what they do best, which is uh, to commit terror attacks, to uh, throw rocks and firebombs at Israeli civilians, uh, to uh, attack police officers, and to, uh, you know, just simply create havoc uh, in, in the streets of Israel, including on the Temple Mount. Now, I was reading something about how it's thought that they hid a lot of weapons in somewhere, I'm not sure where, whether, whether, whether it was in Jerusalem or somewhere. Like, in other words, they didn't just have to bring these weapons in. They were already planning this and hid the weapons. Where was that? What was that all about? Well, that's nothing new. I'm, I'm you know, sorry to disappoint you. It's, not, it's, it's nothing out of the ordinary. 
you know, I always say, uh, you know, the the whole world seemed to stop for for about a year and five months uh, during the whole coronavirus crisis, and you know, nothing was normal. Nothing was normal, and Israel, right. being what one of the first countries to come out of the pandemic, and you know, it's pretty much finished here. And, you know, so we, yeah, we, we're coming out of the pandemic. We're getting back to normal. Unfortunately for us, normal means Palestinian terrorism. Normal means uh-huh. radicals attacking people in the streets. Normal means uh, having, having this uh, fanatical Islamic extremism uh, used as a weapon against us and so so for us uh that's normal and but but it's not it's not pleasant and it's 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 a very very serious challenge so uh so so yeah i'm kind i'm kind of uh, <laughs> you know i'm kind of su- surprised uh to hear that you know you would think that the hiding of weapons is something uh, <laughs> out of the ordinary. It's not out of the ordinary for us uh, because they, well, they, they do they do it all the time. Guess what? Guess what, uh, Doctor Carroll? In in um, in Gaza, okay, there is an organization under the auspices of the UN. Okay, it's known as UNRWA. And the, and what it stands for is United Nations Welfare Relief Association, uh, and and you know what they do? They they what? they fund schools in Gaza and uh, Judea and Samaria and the in the Palestinian autonomous areas. They fund schools, hospitals, and guess what? They hide weapons in the schools uh-huh. and hospitals. And then when Israel attacks those schools and hospitals, then they run to the Western media and they say, look, uh-huh. Israel is attacking children. Israel is attacking sick patients. This is what uh-huh. is going on. And by the way, I'll just a point of information. Uh, the Biden administration has renewed about $150 million in financial aid to UNRWA so that they can continue their wonderful programs on behalf of the children and the sick people of Gaza. Wow. Not that that's surprising, but, um, I mean, so, so basically... We are in, I mean, when Trump was president, and I know you wrote a book about Trump, what was the title of it again? That Trump was and Trump the and Jews. the Jews. Trump. Yeah, see, I remember, Trump and the Jews. Um, when he was president, um, you know, things were under control. He really did, um, you know, by moving, first of all, by moving the American embassy to Jerusalem and by... Um, just, you know, all peace talks and various things that he did, um, he, he created a period of relative peace, and especially also working with other Arab countries and so on. So now, 
um, Iran in particular, now that uh, Biden is president, um, Iran in particular is seeing this as a holiday. You know, this is uh, what better time than now to do what they have been barely holding back doing um, during the time of Trump. Yes, they, they certainly are funding uh, the terrorists, terrorists very uh, generously. And, you know, we, we have to understand something. Why was Trump successful? Because his policy is, or his policy was, peace, not appeasement. Appeasement uh-huh. doesn't work. And appeasement, for those of you listeners who don't know, appeasement means that when when some someone or somebody is being aggressive towards you, or some organization or terrorist organization or government is being aggressive towards you, then you give them some of what they want. That's appeasement. Mm-hmm. That's appeasement. And, you, know, you know, I wrote all about this in my book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, that when, when all, of, all of the George Floyd riots were going on, okay, and I call them the George Floyd riots because that's what they were, essentially. They, yes. they, were, they weren't yes. peaceful protests for the most part. And right. so when all that was happening, and they were burning American flags and attacking monuments to American heroes and, and attacking government buildings and setting them on fire and vandalizing them. You know, that, 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 that to me was, was not, the, the right approach was not to give them some of what they want. And that's what was done. That was appeasement. Uh, uh, You know, everyone was afraid of their aggression and the violence, and and it didn't matter that that they were that they were killing and that they were looting and that they were um, attacking business owners and you know and uh, many of those business owners, by the way, uh, were black and brown people, what they call black and brown people, uh, and. You know, it it didn't matter. It didn't matter. They were being violent, and therefore everyone caved in and tried to appease them and said, "Okay, we will partially defund the police. We won't totally defund the police. We'll partially defund the police." As the mayor of Minnesota yeah. uh, kind of agreed to, um, and he was basically booed off the stage. Um, nobody wanted to listen to him because. Because uh, when once you start appeasing, and once you start pandering, then the aggressor is just going to smell blood. You know, it's like it's yes, like a, yes. a, a prize fighter. You know, it's like when when you have these these prize fighters. I I always remember. You know, and here I'm aging myself a little bit. But when Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier, and uh, so, so uh, Ali, you know, knew that if he keeps if he keeps uh, peppering away, you know, keeps jabbing Fraser in his face, that eventually he's going to strike blood. 
And once he saw blood, then he knew that he had a chance of, of eventually uh, ending the fight and winning. Uh, yes. It's the same thing. It's the same concept. Uh, that, that, that once you say you're going to partially defund the police, then they start putting on the pressure that you should totally defund the police. And though yes. if you're a black person yes. especially who says that, then they'll call you an Uncle Tom uh, so, or an Uncle Tim. Uh, in the case of uh, Senator Tim Scott. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, very important psychological understanding here that, that people should be aware of that uh, appeasement does not work. It doesn't work, and it only invites further aggression when you're dealing with radical yes. people. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's... It's interesting, really. Um, that was a very clever idea for a book, and a very uh, I hope I hope um, a lot of people in America, you know, not just in Israel, but I hope a lot of people in America uh, who are in positions of power read this, or not even just positions of power, but just more Americans uh, confronting radicals. What American learn can learn from Israel, because it's true, and we don't. I, I hadn't really thought about that before. That um, that that there are some similarities, really, between the uh, uh, Israel-Arab uh, peace issues or, or war um, and this, the, what's going on in America, the war of, you know, between race, race war and all kind of, you know, all different aspects of that. But, yes, that's a very good point. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. I want to um, make sure we talk more about that. But tell us more about... Um, what I mean, what are are there? What is, like literally? What are the? Um, are you under curfew in Israel? Is there are there sirens going all the time? What actually is happening? Well, there were sir- there were sirens in Jerusalem for the first time. Uh, just yesterday at about six p.m., uh, there were there were seven missiles fired by Hamas, by the Hamas terrorist organization from Gaza at Jerusalem. And it was the first time that missiles landed so close to Jerusalem and do, doing some damage. Uh, so, so it, you know, today, today it got even worse. Uh, today there were, uh, there were several homes that were, that were attacked, that were, that had missiles land on, on the roof land and do severe damage uh, to these homes and to the people who are inside. Uh, there were about six children who were wounded in, in the, those attacks and several people killed in those attacks. Uh, they, what, they, what they do, the Palestinians aim at civilians intentionally uh, because they believe that the civilians are the weak link and that, and that the public will you know, won't have the resolve uh, to to fight back against them, and and mm. therefore Israel's government uh, won't won't have the resolve to fight to fight strongly uh, in response. So I'm not so mm-hmm. sure how mm-hmm. true that is uh, in the long run, but in the short run, it's been a very successful policy for them. Yes, because of uh, how much Israel values people. <laughs> You know, as compared to uh, 
some of these other countries. Um, well, we need, I know we're going to, uh, about to be interrupted by the music for a break. So this will be, um, this will be a good place. When we come back, we'll talk more about what is happening. It's, it's just devastating. Um, and I also want to talk about what's happening in, uh, the U.S. Congress and how, you know, what we can count on or not count on for help from the U.S. So stay tuned. Um, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My um, guest is David Rubin. We're talking about Israel under attack. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Don't write yourself and welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about Israel under attack. And we're getting a report from the front lines um, from my guest, David Rubin. And I was asking him during the break um, if, he is, if he feels safe. And, um, well, why don't you answer? Why, why don't you tell everybody what you said? Well, the truth is that I feel totally safe. Um, admit that you know I always feel safe in Israel um, maybe I shouldn't um, after all I was wounded in a terrorist attack and and my three-year-old son was shot in the head so uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't feel totally safe but I do there's, there's something about the psychology of living in Israel uh, that everyone feels safe and you know tourists uh, also come here and they talk about how safe they felt the whole time they were here so it's actually quite remarkable. Uh, but, the, but the reality is that there is terrorism and there are terrorist attacks 
and there are attacks of missiles like we just discussed. So, um, yeah, I'll let, uh, I'll let the listeners be the judge. Well, you know, I, I have been to Israel once um, for my daughter's bas mitzvah on Masada, and I felt safe. Um, but is it the feeling that, uh, that, I mean, I felt safe, well, let me ask you, um, when you say that you always feel safe, is it because you feel that God will protect Israel or because of, um, you know, more pedestrian kinds of things like that there are lots of soldiers and good hospitals and things like that? Well, look, uh, I'm, I believe that God helps those who help themselves. You know, we're, we're supposed to make an effort in doing what we need to do. Uh, so if we have an enemy that's attacking us, so, so we have to protect ourselves and we have to protect ourselves and we have to fight back if we know that an attack is coming, even if the attack has not come yet. So you can call, you know, it's the old expression, the best defense is a good offense. And right. I, I, I do believe, I do believe that that's true. Uh-huh. Now, um, I was starting to ask you about whether you are worried, uh, because I, I was saying that I feel more worried this time about the security of Israel, uh, which is different than saying whether you feel safe when you're there. But I'm just saying that uh, in terms of how much Israel can count on America's support, um, I feel is much less than it was during Trump and, uh, and it was during lots of other presidents. I mean, the worst president in terms of Israel and now because Biden um, is uh, non-compassmentist, it's really Obama who is, running the show, and it was when Obama was running the show, when he was president, that the United States was most at risk of terrorism, terrorists, and Israel was most at risk, and now basically he is having a second chance to uh, destroy Israel by not protecting it, and also uh, destroying America. So what are, I mean, what do you think about that, and what are reasons why you're worried this time? Well, I'll tell you, there, there are several factors at play here uh, that are making this happen right now and, and that are encouraging a, an increasing intensity of a situation. And one, so one factor that should be quite obvious to everybody who knows Israeli politics is that, that Israel is in the midst of coalition negotiations uh, after the elections that were that were about a month ago, over a month ago. And uh, the negotiations are not going so well. There's a real question about whether there's going to be a government. So basically Israel has, a, at this point, uh, a lame duck administration, uh, which, which kind of makes it a little bit hard to, to fight an intensive war. Uh, that's, that's one issue. Uh, the, uh, the second issue at play is that the Biden administration has restored millions of dollars in funding to the Palestinian Authority that had been cut off by President Trump. And the, the reason why it was cut off was because the Palestinian Authority was funding terrorism heavily and paying salaries to terrorists. Every terrorist that killed a wounded Israeli 
uh, would receive a salary from the Palestinian Authority. They still are receiving that, um, even though President Trump had cut that off and he said, until they stop funding terrorism, we're not going to fund them. Uh, President mm-hmm. Biden came into office and he reversed that policy. He undermined the Trump policy of discouraging terrorism and he is <clears throat> he restored millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in financial aid to the Palestinian Authority. And now it is being used towards terrorism because Biden is encouraging terrorism through his actions. And I could not be any clearer about that. And and I look because of that, I I, I just don't see them ha- as having any incentive uh, to cool things down, unless Israel takes a very strongly offensive approach. Now, at this point in the negotiations for the Israeli government, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is not the likely winner in that coalition process. And the, uh, the his potential replacements, uh, who are Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, are both negotiating with uh, Mansour Abbas, who is the head of one of the two Arab parties. Uh, he is an Islamic extremist who has supported terrorism. Uh, and, and that's who they're negotiating with to be a part of their coalition. So I think that's a big danger. And... Uh, Abbas is not having a, you know, he's not a happy camper at the moment because uh, because Israel is fighting against the Palestinians, and it's very possible that Netanyahu will not hesitate to take a more offensive approach this time, so as to spoil the chances of that coalition, a non-Netanyahu coalition being formed. Well, yeah, I was going to say, um, this, in a way, is good for Netanyahu, right? Because he um, has always taken a more aggressive um, stand towards the Palestinians. And so now that uh, Israel is being attacked the way that it is, there will be a lot of, won't there be a lot of Israelis who are going to realize, you know, Netanyahu was right, and um, we need him, we need somebody strong, but it may be too late. It may be too late, uh, at least for this coalition negotiation, uh, because he had his 30 days to form a government. He didn't succeed. And now his opponents are trying to form a government. And they have to get to a majority of the 120 seats in the Knesset, in Israeli parliament. And they have a pretty good chance of getting there. Uh, but it seems, again, that they would need the support of at least one of the two Arab parties. So if this conflict continues, it's going to be very hard for those Arab parties to join this, uh, you know, burgeoning coalition. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, so let me just say, so, so, if, so if the coalition is not formed... Uh, within yeah. the 30 days that they have a chance to do so, uh, then Israel may be going to a fifth election, 
the fifth election in two years. And if that happens, and if Netanyahu takes a strong, aggressive approach in responding uh, to these riots, uh, so it might help him at the polls. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, I, I would think so. I would hope so. <laughs> um, he was like the uh, only sane one. Um, now, what about the Iron Dome? How come the Iron Dome, maybe you can explain, first of all, what that is, and then um, that has protected Israel in the past. Why is that not working now with what the terrorists are doing? Well, it still is. Uh, the Iron Dome hasn't been stationed around Jerusalem and Tel Aviv so much because uh, the Hamas terrorists usually weren't able to reach Jerusalem and Tel Aviv with their missiles. Uh, but but they have been using this quiet time that they've had over the past year and a half, uh, past two years, past three years. Uh, they've been using that quiet time so that they can restore their their weaponry to... Uh, greater levels and to improve their uh, their aim uh, with those missiles. So uh, that's that's what's been going on, and and that's the reason uh, why they've been more effective this time in hitting their targets. Hmm, yes, and you know, in America, um, people are so have been so preoccupied with COVID and with the election and so on that um, they have pretty much all but forgotten that uh, terrorists exist, <laughs> you know, and that the terrorists have not for- forgotten about us uh, or Israel and still have in mind to to destroy Israel and destroy the West. So, yes, yes they've but, been but, busy but again, doing this. But again, let me point out uh, the the similarities uh, that are, ju- that are yes. all too striking. Okay, so so... In my book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, uh, I, I discuss these comparisons, and, and that's really yeah. what led me to write the book, uh, because cause I, I saw all of the rioting and looting in America, and I saw entire cities being shut down. I mean, New York City, for example, you know, to see Macy's mm-hmm. shut down, uh, yeah. you know, there's this huge Macy's and Herald Square all boarded up uh, and, and so many other stores and to see it happening in other cities in Minnesota and Los Angeles and, um, you know, just so many cities, so many places. Uh, and it was so disturbing. But what really struck me was that was what I saw happening where people you know, so-called peaceful protesters are actually throwing Molotov cocktails, which are these homemade firebombs, at police officers, at other civilians, at at businesses uh, that wouldn't comply with their demands. And I, I was struck by it all. I was just struck by the similarity in strategy. I was also struck by the semantic games that are played. Um, that the you know, just like in, in Israel, the Palestinians have always played this semantic game uh, where they change the names of places, where, they, where Israel becomes Palestine and where 
the, the, uh-huh. the, the Judea and Samaria, which are the historical names for the center of Israel, uh, that becomes the West Bank. And uh, just so many uh, semantic games that are played for political purposes. And look, I see a lot of it happening in the United States, too, where Nancy Pelosi uh, approved of a proposed policy that uh, that it would not be possible to say mother or father in Congress. Yes. And why? Why, uh-huh. you know, why, why in the world would people not want to say mother or father? Uh, well, only those that want to destroy the traditional family. Um, yes. But... Uh, but but Nancy Pelosi approved of that. She approved of not using the words he or she, uh, that people would yes. have to say it or they instead. And this semantic game has been played for years uh, by Israel's enemies, and I, and I see it being done in the United States as well today. So the similarities could not be more glaring and there are many uh-huh. others as well. Many other similarities uh, that I find that I found very troubling, and I still find very troubling. Well, um, and w- now in America, um, the purpose is well. For one thing, I mean, the purpose is like you know, primarily this has to do with the three women who are the founders of Black Lives Matter and um, the people who then support them. Um, who want to, I mean, they're trying to destroy all, like, let's say even Dr. Seuss, for example, Dr. Seuss books and Monopoly game and all these things that they make up, all this cancel culture, uh, these things that they make up to um, say that something is racist or sexist or transphobic or all this, when really it's trying to make us crazy. It's trying to take away the things that we have sort of counted on as, just, you know, guideposts or, or, you know, I don't mean like, I'm not saying that we are learning how to live by reading Dr. Seuss necessarily, but I'm just saying things that we're, are familiar in our, in our um, environment. And the, taking away things that are familiar in a person's environment is what makes them crazy. And so by, by making us crazy, um, you know, uh, disoriented, um, that allows people to come in and take over with um, whatever, you know, whether it's communism, socialism, whatever uh, isms they want to make happen, Tra- change, changing, uh, you know, now in America, I don't know, <laughs> I hope this hasn't happened in Israel, um, but like in America, well, first of all, BLM has gotten in this, this whole movement has gotten into all the schools um, and and um, it's teaching kids, you know, teaching kids that if they think they are the same gender or sex as what they were born with, the anatomy they were born with, that's not cool. You should be um, something else. I, I ho- tell me that that hasn't gotten into Israel, that people, that kids are being, I don't think that would work in Israel, that people, that kids would, would think that uh, if they were born a boy, that they shouldn't be a boy because... Because it's not cool, it's more cool to be something else. Well, Israel actually is moving in the opposite direction. Uh, there are those that are trying to to approve such a policy. There was uh, there's someone who proposed in the Knesset, one of the left-wing Knesset members proposed uh, that 
that uh, they should uh, that if if someone fills out a form uh, for his children, it should say parent number one, parent number two, instead yeah. of mother and father. Uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, that that's an uphill battle here. the The traditional family is alive and well in Israel, and yes, I would and, think. It's, and it's and it's not running. They're not running scared. Uh, marriage is on the rise. People are having more children than ever before. So huh. that, huh. that that isn't the. It's the opposite of the way it is in the in the secular world. Interesting. You know, it, well, I need yeah, to. I'm Israel, sorry. I need uh, to there, there are a lot of secular I, people. I, oh, we need to go I, to I, a break. I need to stop. Yes, I'm sorry because this is, you know I want to hear what you have to say about this, but we do need to go to a break. Um, we're talking today about Israel under attack with my guest David Rubin. He's reporting from the front lines in Israel, and we will be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. Are at home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about Israel under attack with a report from the front lines from my guest, David Rubin, who amongst other things, is the author of numerous books. Um, we are talking, with, you know, it's so interesting how uh, we've been talking about his latest book, which is Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel. And uh, America needs to learn this quickly <laughs> because radicals in America are um, increasing. And um, even just, uh, just in particular in regard to this, the war in Israel right now, um, for example, uh, we have Ilhan Omar and her and the squad who are uh, so anti-Semitic, 
and who are doing everything they can. You know, just I was talking about Obama before trying to destroy Israel uh, and using Buck Biden as a puppet to do it. And certainly the squad and Ilhan Omar uh, have long been um, trying to destroy Israel and destroy Jews. Um, how she got into Congress, I mean, you know, we know she had a lot of money, anti-Semitic money behind her. That's how she got into Congress. Um, let's talk about, you mentioned, um, well, when you mentioned start, during the break, we were starting to talk about how when Jewish families came uh, primarily from Europe um, to, to the U.S., you know, years ago, uh, like my grandparents, <laughs> um, and that they didn't have affirmative action to help them. Um, they, they, uh, but they managed to get ahead in the U.S., and, and um, David will tell you how. But I just want to, you know, sort of along with this, I want to mention something. Did you ever see the movie Wally? W-A-L-E, like he was a robot, you know, so E is electronic. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it was came out in 2008. It was an animated movie. Does that ring any bells? Uh, no, I actually did not David. see it. So, you, so you're going to have well, to describe it. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the, the part of the movie that, um, that always stuck with me, and this is from 2008, and clearly we have been, been going closer and closer to this scene um, ever since. Uh, there's a scene where, well, the story is about how the Earth gets overrun with trash, and so people have to sort of go to another planet or go, in, go into outer space. Um, but that's, that's not the important part for this. The important part is that it shows, it was this, these scenes where people were on a kind of ride, like a, a, an amusement park type ride on a spaceship or a cruise ship or something that was supposed to be in, in outer space. And they were, they were floating nowhere. They were on like, you know, those teacup rides, um, like in Disneyland or other amusement parks. And these teacups keep going around and around. And so the, the people were in things like that. And they were being fed junk food, you know, hamburgers and milkshake-type food. Um, and they also had on their little table a television set or a computer screen. And so what it was showing was that people were basically stuck in this mindless uh, situation where uh, people were, are just uh, forever ro- rotating around, eating junk food and watching television and um, not working. But America has, is in, Americans have become more and more in the situation of this memorable scene from that movie, Wally, an animated movie. Um, so that's a lead-in to what you were going to talk about in regard to when Jewish people came to the United States and didn't have the advantage sure. of affirmative action and those kinds of things. So why don't you take it from there? Absolutely, that? absolutely. Uh, there was no such thing as affirmative action. The, 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 the Jews who came to the United States, you know, several million Jews came to the United States in the early part of the 20th century, and they, they came in utter poverty, and there was a lot of discrimination against them. Uh, there were a lot of fields that they couldn't work in, and you know, so they couldn't work in some fields. Uh, they 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 were creative. They figured out ways of working in other fields. Uh, they uh, the 
there, there were no days of rage. Uh, there were there were no complaints about about a, a bigoted society, the a society that that wouldn't give them their rights. There was none of that. Uh, the the Jews who came to America in the early part of the 20th century were only so happy to be in the United States, in a free country, and they because of whatever discrimination there was, they worked harder. Uh, they, they they knew they would have to work harder, and they did work harder. They they worked 24-hour days. I mean, really, they all, almost literally. Uh, they they worked in the sweatshops, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You know, in 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 poverty, and they were, they were called sweatshops for a reason. And as a result of all that, uh, they eventually uh, they they just worked harder and and harder and harder, and they they eventually became managers of those sweatshops, and eventually became owners. And and as far as education and their children. They would never teach their children uh, that uh, that they should look for handouts. Uh, those children were told they better work twice as hard in school as all the other children, because that's how mm-hmm. they were going to get ahead. And mm-hmm. and American Jews did succeed, uh, you know, beyond beyond their their imaginations in terms of their economic ability. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them left their their biblical heritage and their roots behind, but uh, but they did succeed, and so uh, there is no question. You know, when I see all of the the entitled uh, demonstrators out there, uh, you know, just feeling, just fueling this psychology of identity politics and entitlement as being what what is the path. As being the right path for uh, poor people to to get out of poverty, it's just not true. Uh, the truth is, the 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 path to to recover from uh, from poverty to to escape poverty is not to blame anybody, but it is to work twice as hard, to persevere, and and to and to have a lot of faith. And, uh, you know, those things are what helps people to succeed. And we, we learned that from the Jewish experience. Yes. And, you know, one of the things um, that happened in America um, in, in, as a result of COVID, uh, or, well, using the excuse of COVID, is that a lot of um, religious houses of worship, whether it's, you know, temples, synagogues, or churches, um, or mosques, for that matter, um, you know, the government closed them down because of uh, saying that, you know, these are, it'll transmit COVID and so on. And so, I mean, yes, you don't need to be in a house of worship to worship, but it certainly does help to um, support, you feel more supported when you're with people, um, you know, and, and led by a religious leader and so on. And, um and, you know, that has been something that, and I'm worried, like a lot in America, a lot of temples, and presumably churches as well, um, have have faltered, you know, because we weren't allowed in for over a year, and still, there are still, um, you know, certain rules. And, um, and that has taken people away from this faith, and feeling like, um, you know, feeling the support. 
What what was it like in Israel? Were you allowed still allowed to go to houses of worship during COVID? Uh, yes, within certain restrictions. Uh, you know, worship was held outside the building, uh-huh. and for, fortunately in Israel, it, it was usually possible to do that. Uh, but but I, I, you know, there's no question uh, that the religious guidance. Uh, makes people stronger, and that's something that that has been lacking in the past year. And uh, there, there there has been a feeling that uh, that uh, that that it was lacking. Uh, that together with the the remote learning and for children in schools, uh, you know, these are essential services, and and they shouldn't have been ignored uh, to the extent that they were. They just weren't yeah. given priority, and uh, yeah. and I say that in, in in Israel as well. It was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to the end of the show, and I want to make sure that people um, know. I'm going to give the name of your book again, which is your latest book, which is Confronting Radicals: What America Can Learn from Israel. I think uh, Americans sh- should learn that <laughs> before our country is gone. Um, and also people can go to your website to find out about um, the rest of uh, all of your other books, which is davidrubinisrael.com. David, Rubin is R, David, and then Rubin is R-U-B-I-N, and then Israel, davidrubinisrael.com. So go check that out because there's um, there are a plethora. What are you up to now, like? Five or six books? Uh, this is my seventh book. Your seventh book. <laughs> Very productive. <laughs> well, thank you so be. much. And uh, stay safe. I hope you and your family stay safe. And, of course, of course, um, all of Israel. Um, you know, I am worried and praying and everything else for um that everyone is able to stay safe, and and also, <laughs> and also, if Netanyahu needs uh, needs um, some promotion, <laughs> let me know. I think that he's one of the best things that happened to Israel. So, thank you very much, David Rubin, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.